Hey everybody, welcome back to The Process. This is Nick Veronica. Charlie and I have a special guest for you today. It's pro football Focus senior analyst Billy Moy. He's a Western New York native who took us through his Bills outlook. We got into some of the really deep numbers looking at Josh Allen's breakout season. We analyzed both sides of the line. We talked about some of our takeaways from the offseason. And we went into our season outlook. We have two other shout-outs before we start here. we got to give one a shout-out to Charlie, our co-host, and his wife, Marissa. They did have the baby. If you heard on our last episode, we were taking a bet. Would Jack Eichel get traded before the baby came? Not here to brag, but I did win the bet, Charlie. You owe me. Uh, but anyway, congratulations to them. Jace uh, made, it, made an appearance at the end of the podcast, if you listen all the way through. Uh, we also got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Ethos Performance Rehab. Find them on Instagram. If you are looking for training, especially with high school sports starting back up, if you want, if you want to get better, if you want to get faster, if you think I could be so much better if this nagging problem wasn't nagging me, I could be all state. I could be whatever it is. You don't have to have an injury to go there. You can, you just want to get better. That's exactly what they do. Ethos Performance Rehab. Thank you for sponsoring us, Dr. Matt, Dr. Zach. Can't not recommend them enough. Anyway, getting into the episode with PFF's Billy Moy. Thanks for listening. Nick, what's going on, man? Hey, hey Charlie, welcome back. Uh, you are a new father. Congratulations on that. Uh, Taking time out of your busy, sleepless schedule to podcast with us. Thank you. Of course, man. You know, it's funny. Everyone keeps thinking that it's sleepless, but if uh, if you would have told me that it would be this easy raising a newborn, I would have told you you were lying. This kid sleeps. Oh, my gosh. Anything. All right. Uh, this is, this is, this is, is like, you're getting, okay, sleep, Charlie, like, 20 seconds in the podcast, the ultimate cold take right here. Okay. This I'm is, just saying. I'm just saying. Just, hopefully, oh my hopefully number two, whenever number two comes along, is, is just as oh. good as this one. No, already talking about number two. All right. Well, we have a special guest today. We have PFF senior analyst Billy Moy is joining us today. Billy uh, used to be the, the Buffalo media correspondent. Uh, those duties have switched, but he is a Western New York native from West Aranaquit. Kind enough to take some time to join the pod. Billy, thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for having us, uh, Charlie. Congrats! Thank uh, you. Thank you. Wasn't sure if if baby was born or not yet. Uh, <laughs> listen, listen to your most recent podcast, and I uh, was looking at the Twitter account and saw you guys had the poll up there uh, about Eichel getting traded or baby coming first. Uh, so looks like baby did come first. Uh, but yeah, congrats! Surprisingly, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Congrats, and enjoy those sleep-filled nights because yeah, <laughs> those are not going to last forever. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like right now it's, it's, uh, we're, we're, we're getting a little bit more sleep than normal. Now I'm curious to see as he gets older, are we going to get less sleep? Yeah. It's a roller coaster. There'll be Absolutely. highs and lows for sure. Absolutely. For sure. But that's awesome. That's awesome. Congrats, man. Thank you so much. Well, Billy, thank you. I mean, you listened to our podcast and still showed up today. So thanks for not just being like, wow, you know, these guys are awful. Know, right? come... <laughs> nah. Jeez, uh... All right. Well, so Billy, just tell everybody, uh, just, you know, a little bit more about PFF. I know some people are, are very familiar, but for people who don't exactly know what PFF does, just kind of fill the people in on what your role is like. Oh man. Uh, PFF has just, uh, we've carved out a unique landscape, uh, within the NFL community. And I think it really pioneered uh, a lot of what you see with, you know, advanced analytics, uh, and kind of what, um, can be done today in the sports analytical world with all the online resources and the way that people are able to connect and communicate. Um, so yeah, you know, we, uh, back 
over a decade ago now. Um, you know, our founder, Neil Hornsby, came up with this brilliant idea where he was super frustrated, uh, you know, being a big time football fan himself, uh, just trying to consume the sport and learn more about it. Uh, you know, he could watch the games himself. He could go online and, and you know, talk to other people on message boards and things like that. Uh, but when it came to getting and consuming data, you know, all that was really available back then was kind of your box score data. You know, go to ESPN or NFL.com, uh, you know, look up passing yards, receiving yards, touchdowns, things like that, tackles, you know. Uh, but beyond that, outside of using those and your own your own two eyes, there really wasn't uh, a great way to consume football beyond that. Um, so he developed a system uh, that, you know, we have uh, – further developed since then where we're grading each and every player on every single play, uh, you know, based on the assignment they're supposed to uh, be carrying about or carrying out and how well, uh, you know, we believe that they're executing it. Um, and yeah, it's really blossomed from there. Uh, you know, we now work with every single team, in the NFL, uh, we're owned by Chris Collinsworth. So, you know, if you watch Sunday night football and you're watching that broadcast, uh, you know, all the all the rankings and all the stats and things like that are provided by us. Um, you know, we work with ESPN and CBS and all the other major uh, media companies where, you know, if you look, you'll see stats credited to PFF. Um, and, yeah, we do college football, uh, the NFL, every single game, every single play. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's tough to be a diehard football fan these days um, and not consume something that we have our hand in, uh, whether it be fantasy sports or just watching broadcasts or, or reading up, uh, you know, your favorite local beat writers and how your teams are doing. Uh, we've gotten to a part where we're a pretty integral, integral part of the game. And it's been a really, really fun ride being a part of that. Um, but yeah, that is, that is PFF in a nutshell. Awesome. So uh, if you're listening to this and you and you are you know wondering how, how that interacts with the media, I can tell you personally, when I was writing for the Buffalo News, I, I reached out to, I think it was, it was you were still the guy at that point, Billy, and we were mm-hmm. uh, looking up, tr- trying to get custom stats on like Rex Ryan's blitz rate over like year by year and kind of seeing how, you know, d- different things in the lineup kind of af- affected his, you know, how the team lost its identity. And that was something the PFF could help with. So very valuable tool uh, that I have always liked. And uh, again, thank you for, for coming on and talking with us here. Uh, yeah. Charlie, li- listen, any, any uh, Buffalo bills, 2021 discussion here starts and ends with Josh Allen. So Billy, yep. if you are, I'm sure you're sick of, of talking about this already, but uh, <laughs> man, the guy in the game, you know, second place in the MVP last season, uh, what, Everything looks good, looks great in the preseason from what we can tell from practice, uh, from, the, from the limited ex- reps he had against the Packers backups. Uh, from your perspective as uh, the, you know, the f- a film guy, I guess, or an analytics guy, what, uh, what is your take here? It's, it's really remarkable with Allen. Um, you know, I was in the camp when he was coming out of Wyoming uh, where, you know, saw the athleticism, saw the raw tools. Uh, you know, the size, the strength, the speed, um, you know, even even the grit that you see from Allen week in and week out. I mean, he had all of that there uh, in college when you were watching him play in Wyoming. Um, but the one thing that wasn't there was just that accuracy. And that's just so important as a quarterback. And it's one of those things where, you know, oftentimes, a uh, lot more often than not, if a quarterback doesn't have that accuracy, you know, by the time that they're coming out of college, 
uh, and they're they're showing inconsistencies the way that Allen showed out of Wyoming. Uh, you know, there's not a huge track record of that improving drastically at the next level. Um, and then, you know, he came out his rookie season and we saw all that on display. You know, he was the package as advertised. Uh, the inaccuracy was there. The raw tools were all there. Um, you know, he could throw the ball out of the stadium, but oftentimes he was sailing balls over his receiver's head. Uh, it didn't matter if it was, you know, 10 yards downfield or 30 yards downfield. Um, the hit in his guys was just not something necessarily in the, in the tool bag. Um, but he appears to be, uh, by all accounts and purposes, the exception, uh, you know, to kind of that, that standard rule. Um, the, the step he made from 2020 or to 2020 from 2019, uh, was just remarkable. Um, you know, looking at, you know, some of our stats and what we've got on them, uh, you know, in, in 2018, he came in, he came into the league and graded, uh, let's see, his passing grade came in at 58 uh, out of a hundred on our scale, which uh, among quarterbacks who dropped back and threw the ball 300 times that year, uh, ranked 28th out of 30th quarterbacks. Uh, in 2019, that jumped up to a 61.9, uh, which moved him up to 26 out of 30th quarter, 26th out of 30 quarterbacks that year. Uh, and then in 2020, we saw a jump that I I can't recall uh, witnessing before. And he jumped all the way up to an 89.8 passing grade, uh, which ranked fifth out of 32 qualified quarterbacks, uh, again, attempting uh, 300 passes in 2020. Uh, and that jump doesn't come, you know, out of nowhere. And uh, the development that he showed and the biggest um, reasoning for that increase in, in not just grade, but the grade should represent kind of what you're seeing with your eyes, uh, you know, just as you're watching watching the game unfold. Um, you know, I'm someone from Western New York my entire life. All of my friends are diehard fans. Um you know, talk to them every single week as they're watching games. They're asking me all the time if I'm seeing the same things that they're seeing. Uh, and the trend, you know, first few weeks, I'm getting texts from my friends being like, hey, is is, is Alan looking better? Like, is this is this something, <laughs> some like actual improvement or are my eyes lying to me? Uh, you know, and and the grades we're pumping out in the beginning of the years for them are showing that improvement. And as, as they're watching the games, they're seeing it too. And those coincide just as the year went on, it just kept getting better and better. And he never hit a point where uh, things kind of seemed like they were falling off a cliff uh, and the grades stayed consistent throughout. Um, and the biggest reason is just that accuracy. Uh, he showed an improvement in accuracy last year uh, that you just, you just can't count on a quarterback showing from one year to the next. Um, sure. You, you draft a guy young and you hope that there's some linear growth there. Uh, where, you know, maybe he goes from being inconsistent to being, you know, decently consistent with a lot of raw tools and a lot of other intangible stuff that he can offer. Um, but Allen went from being inconsistent to being one of the most consistent quarterbacks in the league uh, when it came to hitting his target. Um, his adjusted completion percentages, uh, mm -hmm. which which really is, it, it's, it's completion percentage, but it also takes into account uh, you know, dropped passes. So if a receiver, if a ball hits the receiver in both of his hands and he drops the ball, uh, completion percentage would not factor that in as a, as you know, a positive throw for the quarterback. Adjusted completion percentage counts that just like a catch. Um, things like throwaways and batted passes and balls that don't even go to their targeted receiver uh, for, for one reason or the other, 
adjusted completion percentage filters all that stuff out. So it really is just measuring uh, targeted throws and whether or not, you know, the quarterback's hitting their target. Um, and in 2018, going back then, uh, he is 63.3%, which ranked dead last of those 30 quarterbacks. Uh, he was the most uh, just cut and dry. That's not a grade. It's not anything subjective. It's just a cut and dry stat. He was the most inaccurate quarterback in the league uh, his rookie season. Uh, and last year, that 63.3% rose all the way up to 77.4%, uh, which was good for the fifth most accurate quarterback in the league. Um, and I, I can't think of a guy off the top of my head who came in his rookie season and was the most inaccurate quarterback in the entire league. And three, two seasons later, he's top five when it comes mm -hmm. to accuracy. Um, it's, it's just astounding. And uh, you know, digging into to Allen and and where that uh, where those adjustments are coming, or where the improvement might be coming more than others, um, I think it really is a testament to him. Because uh, if you if you dive deeper into some of those numbers, you see that the improvement is really coming all across the board. Um, when it comes, let's see, when it comes to Ah, so when I when I looked at Allen, I broke down uh, the throws he was making, you know, in 2018, 2019 and 2020 uh, and kind of looked into the different routes he was throwing, uh, mm -hmm. seeing, you know, what kind of stuff Buffalo was asking him to, to hit uh, and where he was showing comfort in areas that he might not have been showing comfort at. Um, so looking at kind of his route route breakdown and how he graded on specific routes, uh, if you go into his rookie season and we look at 2018, uh, there was not a single route his rookie season that he threw more than 50 times. Um, you know, he was peppering different routes all across the board, but there was not one go-to route that he had in his bag uh, that, you know, he could rely on uh, if he really needed to go to it. Um, so no routes over 50 times in 2018. And looking at the different routes uh, of every type of route he threw 10 times. So, you know, we're talking slant routes, post routes, in routes, out routes, corner routes, uh, the whole, the whole wheel, um, of any route he threw at least 10 times, he only graded higher than 70, uh, on two of those different routes. Uh, he earned a 70.5 grade. So he just passed it, uh, on 49 hitch routes and he earned a 71.1 grade uh, on 44 crossing routes. Um, so those were his two highest volume routes in 2018, uh, and he just cracked 70 on both of those routes. Th th uh, those are shorter, like easier throws technically, right? Yeah, I mean, a hitch can work its way downfield, but, you know, we're not talking further than, you know, at most 12, 15 yards usually on a hitch okay. route. Uh, and on a hitch route too, you know, the wide receiver is turned back towards the line of scrimmage. It's not one where you have to lead the receiver right. or anything like that. Uh, you know, you've got the numbers of the receiver shown to you as the quarterback. You're just trying to hit the guy in his chest, uh, you know, make sure you're getting the ball there on time usually. Um, but that was pretty much all we had in 2018 when it came to to routes he was comfortable at throwing, uh, and he wasn't even doing all that well with them. Uh, but in 2019, we start to see, you know, some nice growth just from year one and year two. Um, you know, he, imp he improved and, and really showed that the hitch route and that crossing route uh, might be two routes that were really going to be in his bag. Uh, those two, again, were his two most uh, popular routes. Uh, he threw 69 hitches in 2019, and he threw 57 crossing routes. Uh, and he finished uh, 2019 uh, over over 70 
on six different routes that year. Uh, so again, he crossed that mark on both the hitch route and the crosser route. Uh, he also uh, broke the 70 threshold on the out route, the slant route, uh, the in route, and the corner route. Hmm. Um, so on top of you know the hitch and the crosser getting better, he also started to diversify and really start to add some of those to his bag uh, as well. And then if you look into 2020, and next thing you know, in 2020, Josh Allen is capable of throwing almost every route on the chart, and he's throwing them all excellently. Um, you know, in 2020, the hitch route and the crossing route go from being dependable to being a weapon. Um, he threw 107 hitches in 2020. He threw 72 crossing routes in 2020. Uh, he finished the season earning an 86.3 grade on hitches and a 91.5 grade on crossing routes. Uh, and anything over 90 is anything that we would classify as elite. Uh, so he was just under an elite player when it came to throwing that hitch route. And he was someone we would consider elite at throwing crossing routes last year. Um, huh. On top of that, uh, he finished uh, with, with grades north of 80 uh, on out routes. Uh, and then he also finished, let's see, with a 90 on slant routes and 91.7 on seam routes. Uh, he broke 70 on in routes, uh, on backfield flare routes, on go routes. Uh, so there was just a level of comfort, consistency, uh, just having, um, I, I think when you see him start to really excel with the entire route tree, uh, you really start to see a quarterback uh, who is not just getting comfortable with their own skill level, but is really showing a level of comfort within their offense. Um, I think that consistency of working with Brian Dable over the years and those two really developing that offense together and how Dable has tailored that offense around Allen's skill set uh, and just the ways that we've kind of seen that offense uh, adapt over the last few years. And last year, it obviously benefited by, by adding Stefan Diggs. Uh, but just seeing how they've been able to adapt that to Allen's skill set and see how Allen has kind of grown within what they're doing over there. Um, it's a unique story that I think Bills fans are incredibly lucky uh, that they have a firsthand seat to. Uh, because I don't, I don't think this is something that many sports fans, uh, growth like this and seeing a player go from, from you know, a hopeful hopeful project to what he is now uh, this quickly. Uh, it's just not something you're going to see very often. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a fortunate time to be a Bills fan. Um, it's a, it's, if you were someone who was all in on Josh Allen and had to, you know, sit through the first two years of, of, uh, of waves to make it to year three, where he's lighting the world on fire, uh, you know, and earning MVP votes and things like that, uh, by all means, you know, thump your chest and rub it into everyone else's <laughs> face. Cause, um, not many people, myself included, saw this coming, but I think it's legit. I, I, I you know, the further and further you look into it, um, the the idea that maybe last year was just a flash in a pan uh, really starts to fade because all the underlying stuff there um, on top of just, and again, it all marries the film. You know, the grades and everything like that are derived straight from the film. Uh, so, you know, when you watch him, he just looks like a different player in 2021 or last year in 2020 uh, than we saw his rookie year. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't see any reason for that to go back in the other direction. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's a, like you said, it all starts with Josh Allen. And yeah. I, I, I think he's got the ability to carry them 
quite okay. far. Let me ask you a question about about growth and just the nature of development, because you, you mentioned several times that his his jump from year two to year three was somewhat unprecedented. And I think I've also seen Football Outsiders tweet something similar about his DVOA from like that kind of jump. It is like really you, you just don't see that ever. So I, I want to just ask if you can give people a picture of what sustained greatness looks like. And I, I want to put this in the perspective of thinking of, of three of the rookie quarterbacks from his year, thinking of Baker, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen. If you were to just think in your head how good they were or what their PFF grade would have been year by year, and I think you, you Baker you would probably say was somewhat linear. You'd say Lamar probably had a higher ceiling uh, initially or and then maybe – has been passed by Allen last year, and Allen, you saw lower, lower, and then really did just shot past both of them. So when you're thinking of lines like that, and I like progress, I think people always think progress is 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 linear, and it's not. I think I think you know, kind of there's bigger jumps than people want want to want to assume there. But when you if you can picture those th three graphs without knowing anything else about the player, what what kind of trend do you think has been? successful in this league what kind of like what what trend on that graph would you want would you want a guy maybe like baker mayfield who's continuing to, you know to progress every year or do you want a guy like alan who had that massive peak and just keep hoping he can stay there uh i mean the the thing with that is i, I think you always want to whether whether it's linear or exponentially you know i think you always want the peak sooner because you want the peak, you know, early on in the window where you've really got the ability normally to, you know, kind of maximize what you can do from a, from a team building standpoint uh, beyond just the quarterback position. Um, so, you know, if, if a guy is going to go up steadily in that linear Baker, you know, style, um, you know, that might be better than the guy who, you know, struggles for four five, six years. And then all of a sudden in their late twenties or mid twenties, you know, something clicks and then you see that exponential growth, uh, you know, five or six years in. Uh, Allen, though, is a bit of a unique, unique circumstance with that that exponential jump coming as soon as it did. Hmm. Um, you know, if you can tell me that I'm drafting a quarterback and I got to struggle through two years of real growing pains uh, where, you know, you're going to take a beat down from the national media wondering what the hell you're doing. You're going to have, you know. A polarized fan base where a lot of them see what you're seeing too and are all in on what you're all in on but you've also got fans who don't think you have any idea that you know what you're doing uh, and you've got that heat coming at, coming at you as well um, if you're telling me I have to sit through two years of that but then I get what Alan did his third year and I get to rely on that you know going forward from here on out uh, I, I, I think you got to take that every day uh, because yeah Baker may have been growing steadily um, and outpacing him initially. Uh, but that jump, I mean, Allen undeniably jumped ahead of, of everyone else in his draft class last season. Uh, and, and like I said, there's no reason to think he's going to go backwards from here on out. Uh, so I think I'd take, take the lumps in the beginning and then that shot upwards. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's just like something clicked. You know, it's like a guy has all the tools and just can't quite figure out how to put them together. And then... You know, after two years of working at it, he went into year three and just something clicked and something was unlocked for him. Uh, and he really is almost like a new player at that point. Uh, and yeah, I get, give me that guy because okay. if 
If I can have that guy in year three, I take that guy in year three. Okay. Charlie, I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off here. I do just want to follow up, Billy, on one thing you mentioned there. You said there's no reason to think Allen uh, regresses at all. And I, can I, I just want to probe a little bit more there. Why, why do you think that? We have seen examples in the NFL, somebody like uh, Goff or Wentz maybe, who seemed really good, maybe, maybe not as good as Allen was last year, but seemed very good and then did regress. So is there a specific reason you think Allen uh, is regression-proof? Uh, I think I think Allen's already got a steady floor to begin with. I, I mean, regression proof is a bit unfair. Could he come back down a little bit from what he did last year? I mean, yeah, there's there's room between being an elite quarterback and doing what he did last year without you know seeing an extra step forward uh, in year four. Um, but it's just when you when you look into those numbers and specifically when I look uh, not just not just at the routes and how he's growing within the offense and hitting you know different routes and with more consistency and things like that. Uh, but if you look, you know, all over the field, whether it's it's behind the line of scrimmage, if it's at the intermediate level of the field, if it's deep downfield, uh, you know, his accuracy is improving there. And it's not just whether or not he's getting the ball to the receiver, uh, his accuracy on, on, you know, whether or not he's putting the ball in a receiver's frame or if he's lead, leading the receiver, uh, you know, into open space and things like that. We're seeing improvements with all of that. Uh, you know, you're seeing his average time to throw decrease uh, from year after year. And that's that's still with him taking, you know, those throws where he's holding the ball back there and making something happen out of nothing uh, as the play is broken down. You're still seeing him him shave seconds or, or tenths of a second, uh, you know, off of that average time to throw. So we're seeing him make quicker decisions. Uh, we're seeing a guy who's just comfortable in his offense. And you're seeing a guy who really owns the game out there. Um and I don't have like a great stat or anything like that, but you know, as, as, as a Western New Yorker who's seen every Bills game for most of his life, uh, you know, I think other Bills fans would notice this too. Uh, you see a guy out there with the moxie and the control of the offense uh, and the understanding of what's going on and how to lead a team downfield. Uh, that's just a natural ability that's in him. That's not going to go away. Uh, and then, I mean, there's he he did it for over a year, and he looks great this offseason. There's nothing to suggest that 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 the accuracy level he showed last year is all of a sudden going to fall off a cliff. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, I could be wrong. He could, you know, come back down to what he was before, and it could be a flash in the pan. Uh, but everything that I see with my eyes and when I dig into our database uh, just suggests that that's just not likely going to happen. Um, and and I'm a guy who likes to rely on the stats and, and the odds and things like that. Uh, and I think the odds that he's going to maintain a level of play close to what we saw last year are, are just pretty good. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Billy. Um, you know, I, I've been kind of hesitant the last few podcasts that we've had talking about Josh Allen and going into the season. And, you know, Josh Allen did a lot of good things last year with no fans in the stands, right? And we've seen Josh mm -hmm. Allen become, as Nick likes to call him, sugar high Josh Allen when it is a packed stadium, <laughs> when there's a lot of things going on around him. And he becomes almost like like a dog who who sees a squirrel for the first time walk on, on a mm -hmm. walk, right? Just wants to go nuts <laughs> and 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 just get, gets really excited, right? Um, however, I felt like yesterday kind of calmed me down a little bit. I thought he looked very good yesterday um against green bay granted preseason but hey you know that touchdown that he had uh on yeah. the first drive to uh to davis was just a beautiful throw and catch uh yeah really didn't get any more on target 
than than what he did on the the, the third of Davis. But Dan Orlovsky, who is one of the few national media folks who is a big Josh Allen supporter, did a really good job of pointing something else out that you know I think kind of gets forgotten about with Josh Allen, and that was the development the development of his eye usage. Hmm. And out of college to where he is now, I remember his first few games in the league, first few preseason games, the big talk was he likes to stare down his receivers. He, he mm. snaps the ball and looks at his receivers. And one thing Dan Orlowski says is that he's not only using them to currently read the defenses pre-snap, but he's also using them as a weapon now to move, to move defensive guys to get his receivers open. And I think a lot of that goes back to what you were saying before about how his accuracy has improved so much. I, I think a lot of that comes from his training with Jordan Palmer and being able to use those eyes to uh, throw his guys open and move the defensive players around on the field to allow his guys to get in the open field. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I mean, that is something, um, you know, if, if you think about a lot of the elite talents that we have in the league, you do see highlights, you know, uh, not weekly, but you see highlights when they pop up, you know, if Mahomes off looks off a, a safety and then, you know, kind of throws it, uh, the other way or Rogers loves to do it too. Um, and yeah, that having those eyes and knowing, uh, it, it almost reminds me of, uh, I, I remember back when I was a kid, I heard a story about, about Manny Ramirez, uh, the old Red Sox baseball player and how he was such a good hitter where he knew, uh, that if he would intentionally swing and miss at a pitch because he knew if he would swing and miss at a pitch that he was setting up, he knew what pitch he was setting the pitcher up to throw on the next pitch uh so he kind of got his pitch out of it by intentionally taking that strike uh and knowing what your opposition is doing and being able to play off of them uh and manipulate them you know out of their coverage and things like that um is is such a next level ability uh to do and it's something that you see you know a lot of the elite quarterbacks do um and you know dan spotting that out and, and discussing that i think it just goes to show another reason why uh you know, more reasoning as to why I think Allen's growth is something real uh, that we're not going to see, you know, slip down a slope um, because it, it just goes to that, that, that total package of development. It goes back to him being more comfortable as a football player and more comfortable with what he's able to do, the, the talent he possesses and how he's going to hone that in to become the best football player he can be. Um, you know, that type of growth, hearing something like that and hearing an observation like that doesn't surprise me when you see the growth so spread out in so many other areas as well. Uh, the kid, from, from every report I've ever heard, he's an incredibly hard worker. Uh, he cares so much about winning and his own craft and being the best player he can be. Uh, and you hear reports like that time and time and again, and then you see the growth so spread out amongst so many other areas. Uh, and it's just... It's a testament to him, the coaches who have been working with him, his ability to be coachable like that and to seek out, uh, you know, working with guys like Jordan Palmer and things like that, uh, you know, on his own time as well. Um, and yeah, it's just another, it's another tool that he clearly has in his bag and it's something that's going to make him a really good quarterback for a really long time. Yeah. I think a lot of fans coming into the Josh Allen years were, you know, me included, you know, I was a big uh, Josh Rosen guy in that draft. Mm. I, I was clearly upset. I think I even tweeted at, I, I was at the bills field house on draft night oh. the year of the draft. And wow. when they traded up 
you know, the Bills, they're serving everyone who's in there. You know, it's free. It's free drinks, free food. Everyone's having a great old time. Uh, you know, everyone's waiting for the Bills to pick. Uh, and then the news came that they they traded up. And so, like, the room just went silent. Uh, and everyone's staring at the big screen. And Goodell comes up. Uh, and, you know, with the, was it sixth pick, seventh pick? Seven. Um, with, the, with the seventh pick of the NFL draft, the Bills select Josh. And there was, like, a, like a you know, an yeah. audible gasp as everyone's waiting to hear Rosen or Allen. And then as soon as he said Allen, I mean, that place erupted with booze. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that field house was on the Josh Rosen train too. Um, so yeah, I think just, a lot it, of people were right. Like, and the one thing I, everyone forgets too, is Josh Allen out of, you know, him and Rosen. Allen was the one who was being talked about as a potential number one pick in that draft. Mm-hmm. Rosen mm-hmm. really wasn't right. Rosen was, considered one of the top guys, but he wasn't really in that, you know, potential to go to Cleveland at number one. There it was, it, everyone knew that it was either going to be Baker or Josh Allen. I think that was the talk going yep. into that draft and scouts had to see something in Josh Allen. It, it wasn't just a Brandon Bean and that scouting department that saw something in Josh Allen. I felt like a lot of guys, Mel Kuyper and, and, and the quote unquote draft experts saw a lot in what Josh Allen's potential could be in this league. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's always something we always forget when, when, when we bring up that Josh Allen, Josh Rosen conversation is, you know, Allen was that guy. Allen could have been, it could have been a totally different scenario here. We could have been sitting here uh, still in uh, quarterback hell, um, not knowing what, what we were going to do next and, and, mm-hmm. and the fan base as a team. Um, and all in all it worked out. And, and I yeah. think everyone now was happy. I think last year's, uh, Josh Allen apology letters going around on, <laughs> on, on Twitter definitely made the rounds. A lot of oh, people yeah. signed those. I was one of them. Um, and I think now fans could finally say, look, like Josh Allen is is the guy and he he is the the future of this franchise. And um the future is bright with Josh Allen at this point. Oh yeah, so bright. Um and cemented with that contract, right? Like yes. there's no yeah. question about it now. He's the man. He's the guy who's, who things are going to be built around. Uh, and they clearly, uh, if they didn't, I mean, they clearly believed in him before, but if they didn't mm-hmm. before, they certainly do now. Um, and yeah, he is just, he's just, he's such a great guy for the organization too. Uh, you know, being in Western New York and just seeing what he has meant. Um, not, not even just to the people of Buffalo. I mean, I'm in Rochester, an hour East of Buffalo. Um, and, and Josh Allen could run for mayor and win tomorrow. Um, like. <laughs> He is the most uh, at 31 years old, lived here my entire life. He's the most beloved sports figure that, that I can remember, not really remembering the Jim Kelly era, you know, all that well. Um, but yeah, no, I am, am so happy for, you know, Western New York that the bills didn't listen to their fans and they ended up picking yes. Josh Allen and not Josh Rosen. Um, because yeah, things are, things are looking on the up. That's for sure. You talk about Josh Allen being so beloved. I, I I bring it up often with Nick too. Like like right now, I look at the Sabers. Right, there's no one on that Sabers mm-hmm. team that I can be like, oh my gosh, like I I love that player. Like a Briar Jury Jury were back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or like a Dominic Kasich or a Ryan Miller type of player. Where it's like, oh my gosh, I I, I love the, these guys. But Josh mm-hmm. Allen, Stephon Diggs, uh, Trey White, like the team is just full of guys. Who you're just like. Man, like I love that guy. Like I would, I would, yeah. I would do anything for those guys. And and like you said, they're they fun to root for. There. They are. They're yeah. a fun team. They're enjoyable. They're a fun team. They're they're not cocky. 
You know, I feel like at some points last year they got a little bit ahead of themselves, but uh, I think Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean do a good job at keeping their focus where it needs to be. And, and well, and Dable know, too. I think when I was Dable listening does. to your podcast, I think you brought up that that speech Dable had gave yes. uh, in training camp where he had everyone sit down uh, and Josh was the only person standing at the end of it and the whole message about, you know, sticking to that humbleness and things like that. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it's been really cool, you know, watching things go from the Rex Ryan era to then McDermott coming in and, and Bean coming in and just how football in Western New York, you know, all of my friends growing up, you know, it always be, what do, what do you think the bills are going to finish at this year? And, you know, it's always the running joke, ah, oh, seven to nine, eight and eight type deal. Uh, and now, you know, they're sitting around, you know, I was, I was at a, at a bachelor party this last week and all my friends are sitting around the table, you know, drawing up, potential playoff matchups and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and that level of excitement has not been there for them. I, I, again, we were all kids in the nineties during that run. Like my friends have not been able to enjoy having discussions like that in August ever. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, listening to those discussions take place and, and just the amount of buzz and excitement that they're feeling uh, coming to the season. It's, it's just awesome. It's great for the area. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's it's got to be such a fun time to be a Bills fan. Well, um, anything too, like like you talk about, you know, drawing the playoff scenarios, fantasy football, even right. Like, mm-hmm. how often have you? How, when's the last time people were like, okay, going into my fantasy football draft, like if I get a Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, you know, and, as my quarterback, wide receiver in my draft, like I have a pretty good team to start right there. I mean, I have a, I have a. I have a buddy who did a two quarterback league draft last night. Oh wow! And wow. and he had the third overall pick, and he had made up his mind before the draft even started that Josh Allen was going to be his pick at third overall, just because never in his life has he been able to take a bill in the top five of the fantasy draft and not been left out of the room for it. Like he just wanted to do that and be able to do that and like have him on his team in like a legitimate spot. And I just I. Again, just so random, just so random, but I was so happy for him because he was just so giddy about the opportunity uh, to do that, you know, as a 30 year old lifelong Bills fan. Uh, so just, it's just been awesome, man, seeing, seeing the effect it has on kind of the entire area. Uh, it's and, and Josh, it's and Josh individually, I, I think, you know, his work ethic and the, the growth he's shown uh, and how kind of the community embraced him while he was going through his rookie struggles and the love he's shown back to the community. Uh, it really is uh, a relationship that goes both ways. I think everyone feeds off each other. Uh, and there's just a, a buzz in Buffalo and in Western New York that I've never felt before. So it's a lot of it's fun. Very, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, even living in, the, in Atlanta, there's a lot of Buffalo people here. And, you know, you go out anywhere, you wear Buffalo something or other, and people are always like, oh, man, how about the Bills? How about Josh Allen? Like, just, just everyone's excited about it. And there's a lot of buzz. Mm-hmm. Even Falcons fans around here are just very excited and, and, and a lot of buzz about Buffalo. Everyone talks about Buffalo around here and it's, it's an exciting time to be a Bills fan. Um, wish we could say the same about the Sabres, but maybe in a couple of years, <laughs> um, but we do have to talk too about the guys in front of Josh Allen. Sure. Because they, they've played a big part as well. And I feel like his development, they've done a decent job the last few years of keeping him upright and keeping him healthy for the most mm-hmm. part, but that's the offensive line. There's mm-hmm. a lot of questions on the offensive line right now. One guy that comes to mind really quick is Cody Ford. Okay. What is Cody Ford's role going to be on this offensive line? Where does he fit in? Um, He's been a guy who I feel has kind of been on the bubble for a number of years, whether he's, he gets re-signed, gets the next contract or not. 
Um, what do you guys see with the offensive line over there, PFF, and and uh, uh, you know, and, and Cody Ford in particular? So in general, I, th- I think the offensive line, you know, as a unit overall, uh, maybe not their greatest strength, but certainly not something I would classify as a weakness either. Uh, you know, especially in pass protection, uh, it is it is it is tough to find uh, you know outstanding. Uh, offensive line play, especially uh, across all five positions uh, and especially at both tackle spots. Um, And, you know, the most important part about your offensive line is protecting your quarterback. And at the tackle spot, I think Buffalo is doing, you know, really well with, with Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams Uh, looking inside at Cody Ford in particular, uh, you know, this year, really hoping to see a step forward from him this year. Um, you know, with him hopefully finding more consistency and uh, not being asked to play all over the place. Uh, you know, his rookie season, he came in, um, you know, I, and I think at Oklahoma, he played a bunch of tackle, uh, but the idea was to draft him. I think it was the second round, draft him, kick him into guard, uh, and, you know, kind of rely on him to, to make that transition back to guard and kind of hold that spot down for a while. Uh, and then I think he got asked to play tackle a bunch his rookie year. Uh, mm-hmm. He played a little bit of guard, but he really did, uh, kind of get moved all around as, as he was kind of like that sixth man who was plugging in for different injuries. Uh, and he struggled with that. And it's not surprising because it's it's tough enough as an offensive lineman to come in from, from playing college, you know, especially in the Big 12 where you've got talent, but it's a very fast-paced game. It's a very spread-out game. Um, it, it's definitely a little different than, than blocking in the NFL, especially when uh, you know, you're going from those heavy shotgun RPO offenses that you got in the Big 12 uh, to, you know, some more traditional drop back offenses and having to really uh, block for for real pass sets and things like that in the NFL. Um, so it, it, that's a tough enough transition to make alone. And then when you're a rookie and you're being bounced around position from position, um, you know, you're not maybe playing guard when they said you're going to be playing guard and you're asked to, to play tackle and things like that. Uh, really no surprise that he struggled there. Uh, last year, uh, you know, he did get that chance to, to play more consistently in the interior, uh, and the struggles were still there. Um, again, you know, second year in the NFL, I'm still going to cut the guy some slack. Um, you know, it, it's not to use COVID as an excuse, but, you know, we've had some awkward seasons as he's just been fresh in the league and he's been bounced around from position to position. Uh, and last year, they finally kind of gave him one spot to kind of figure out and he struggled with it. Uh, but this year I do think he needs to take a step forward. Uh, you know, we're in year three, we're in the year where you start to really think about, you know, with those rookies, what you're going to do with them financially moving forward, uh, whether or not, you know, your team is the one that's going to give them that second deal, or if you're going to move on to somebody else. Um, and if, if, if they're going to keep those tackle spots solidified, uh, you know, I don't know what their long-term plans are with Daryl Williams, but, um, you know, if they've got no plans for Ford out there and he struggles again in the interior this year, uh, it's not the most difficult position to try and replace. Uh, so, you know, if he doesn't take a big step forward, then he might not be in Buffalo for, for a second contract. Um, but again, he, he, he's, he's been in a tough spot the last two years. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing him get uh, that opportunity this year to prove that he was worth that second round pick, uh, to prove that the initial plan to kick him into guard uh, and keep him there long-term was going to work out. Um, but yeah, just as, a, as an overall unit, um, again, not the biggest strength, 
definitely not the best offensive line in all of football. Um, but are they an average to an above average unit that's not going to hurt them? Uh, I, I, I think so, especially with uh, kind of how that offense is tailored. Um, you know, Dable gets real created, creative, uses a lot of play action, uh, uses a bunch of RPOs and things like that these days. Um, and they run a pretty good, uh, you know, run scheme too with the stretch zone runs that they really like to run uh, to get those guys, to get those running backs in space find the open hole themselves um, and, and really play off of the strengths and weaknesses uh, with whomever might be uh, on the field uh, on the offensive line at a given time. Um, I know uh, beforehand, you know, Nick, you're talking a little bit about, you know, the running game uh, and whether or not the offensive line uh, was maybe the issue for, for you know, yeah, kind we, of a, a Yeah, we talk about that a lot in the podcast. It seems to keep coming up run game. Uh, so I, I did some, some looking into that today too, to kind of, you know, answer, answer that question okay. uh, with, with, with our data. And I happened to do it while I was listening to you guys talk uh, on your, on your previous podcast. And you said something um, that I think really kind of shown through with the data too. And it's the bills maybe aren't, you know, they're, they're certainly volume wise. They're not a rushing team, right? Like they're a pass first offense. Um, but I think you said something uh, on on the last podcast uh, about how the Bills are an opportunistic run team, uh, and they might not run the ball often, um, but when they do, you know, as long as as long as they're getting that success when they are trying to run, uh, that you can live without them being, you know, a run conscious offense. And I think they've hit that. Uh, looking at looking at the data from what they did last year, uh, when they when they do run they're fairly successful with it. Um, you know, just on the ground alone, uh, when they ran the ball, they picked up a first down or a touchdown last year, uh, just over 28% of the rush attempts. Uh, and that ranked as the fourth highest rate in the league. Hmm. So, you know, they might not be running it often, but when they are handing that ball off, they're moving the chains forward. They're getting into the end zone. Um, looking at the running backs, uh, you know, as a, as a team, they ranked fifth, by averaging 0.18 missed tackles uh, forced per attempt. So, you know, they're forcing a missed tackle pretty much once every five runs, uh, which again was a, is an upper, you know, rate in the NFL last year. Uh, and then looking at some of the, some of the, the stats you could kind of use to assess the offensive line, you know, they were 15th in the league by averaging 1.4 yards before any contact last year. Uh, so, you know, the offensive line is moving people forward, giving them some space, uh, you know, the running backs, you know, uh, I'd I'm looking forward to seeing Zach Moss, you know, fully healthy for a year. Uh, Singletary has looked great this offseason. Um, but, you know, even last year, you know, they're making stuff happen. Um, and then, you know, another another way to kind of look at the run game is, is, you know, maybe not the level of success you're getting, but how often are you getting just shut down completely, you know, in the run game? Uh, so, you know, we, we keep track of something that we call a stuff rate, uh, which is, you know, your percentage of runs that are either going for a loss or just going for no gain at all. Uh, and Buffalo was stuffed on 8% of the runs last year, uh, which was the seventh high or which was the seventh best rate in the entire league. Uh, so they move the ball forward and they pick up first downs and touchdowns when they decide to run the ball. Um, it's hmm. just it's not their primary method of moving the ball. Uh, it's never going to be 
their primary method of moving the ball as long as Josh Allen's uh, the quarterback. Um, but okay. it's not something it's not something they should be devoting a lot of resources to anyways, you know, with with uh, with the offense as it's constructed. And and yeah, when they okay. do have to go to it, I think it's a good tool. Yeah, I love to hear that the uh, stats back us up there. I am curious, is that is that on just pure handoffs or is that including scrambles and keepers? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I would I would actually assume I didn't filter for it, so I would assume that that's yeah. including scrambles. Okay, uh, yeah. I mean, Josh is so dangerous running the ball and especially in the red zone too. Like, I, I would think that maybe like he does factor in to having a successful ground game. Um, I'm, I'm just curious. I think maybe when we were talking about, we were thinking handoffs in particular, um, but maybe maybe we were thinking about that wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's tough because with Buffalo and and so much so much of it just Taylor, so much of it starts and ends with Josh Allen and the scramble game and him keeping the ball off of read options and things like that and booting it off the back end is always going to be such a huge part uh, of what they do. Um, so yeah, obviously, you know, it is certainly important to look at what the running game is doing absent scrambles as well. Uh, you do want to be able to reliably hand the ball off, uh, you know, on first and 10 and know you're going to at least, you know, move the ball forward and make some progression to moving the chains um, and not getting stuffed. Um, but you, you know, hand off on first and 10. I mean, me personally, no, but a lot of teams <laughs> still do. And when they do, you want to see the ball moving forward yeah. and not getting stuffed for second and nine. So, um, yeah, a lot of it starts and ends with him, but yeah, you do want to be able to move the ball with it. And I think if you do, you know, looking at the number of scrambles he had last year compared to all the rushing attempts, I don't think the numbers probably shift too much, uh, in any direction but I'm sure the scrambling numbers are going to help those lean a little bit more positively. Quick editor's note here. Billy followed up with us after the podcast. When you filter out scrambles, the Bills' first down or touchdown percent drops slightly from 28.2 to 27.3%, so about 1% lower. But when you factor out that from everyone else's team also, that actually moves them up to third in the rankings in first down or touchdown percentage on design runs. Uh, I thought that was super interesting. So just wanted to share that with you as a quick aside here. Thanks, Billy. Do you happen to have any stats on defensive ends uh, in the preseason? I, it just seems like such a logjam there. They got the two veterans. They got drafted at Vanessa two years ago. They just drafted two guys this year. F.A. Obata is having a good camp. Do you see anything on uh, on your end just, just standing out on the defensive end battle? Um, I mean, stats wise, no, uh, Epinesa's looked great in the preseason. Um, you know, real excited about him. I mean, I do not preseason wise, but last year, uh, you know, if you compare Epinesa to all of the rookie edge rushers last year, um, he was one of only 11 who got a hundred pass rush snaps last season and he graded out third best at 71.2. Uh, so, you know, as a rookie within his role last year, uh, you know, I thought he looked pretty well doing that. Uh, he was, you know, a player we were high on coming out of college. Uh, you know, I think it was a high second round pick he ended up being. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously a player coming out with some pedigree, uh, really looking forward to, to seeing, uh, you know, what role they end up giving him this year, uh, whether or not he does end up getting uh, that starting spot opposite Hughes on the other edge, uh, or if he kind of mixes in just a little bit more, uh, you know, on those pass rushing downs. Uh, but no, he is. I thought he's looked really well this preseason so far. 
Um, who else? Who else? Who else did you mention? Uh, it seems like Greg Rousseau has had a good summer, but I'm I'm curious between Epinesa, Rousseau, even Fa Obata, does that mm. d- does um does, with them pushing for a spot? Does that push Mario Addison as a potential cut? Does that? I mean, I, we're assuming Hughes and Addison, being veterans, are going to have a big role here. But I'm just curious if uh, there's just so many bodies there. I'm curious how that's going to shake out. Yeah, I mean, Hughes Hughes isn't going anywhere. Hughes was amazing last year mm-hmm. Hughes I mean it's unfortunate that you know time is eventually going to catch up with Hughes and I know he's in the last year of his deal uh, but this year you know I'm I'm looking for a hallmark you know season from Jerry Hughes um, I when I went with Addison you know if if the finances come down to it and someone needs to be cut I I think he's a very easy guy to let go of at this mm. point um if if you can keep him, you know, if there's no financial incentive to cutting him whatsoever, then you keep him and you keep rotating him in and you keep fresh legs in there and you let him, you know, get a dozen or so pass rush attempts a game. Um, but if somebody has to go with the depth that they have along the defensive line with the cap hit that Addison brings, uh, I, I think he's a very easy uh, cap casualty if you need to make the space. Um, and I think, I think a lot of what happens on the edge also kind of depends on, I, I I say, hang on to Addison if you can, because I think at some point the bills, the the depth becomes a luxury that the bills could afford to have. Um, because if if you look at the interior of that line, uh, I, I think a lot is being placed on the shoulders of star. Um, he's never been an unbelievable football player to begin with. Uh, he's he's had you know some fine seasons, but he routinely grades out for us. Uh, you know he's got plenty of years where he's grading out in the high fifties to low sixties. Um, he's just he's he's not a guy who lives up to that first round talent you know draft pick that that he had back when he came out. Uh, and he's also been out of football for over a year, and a lot is being placed on his shoulders, expecting him to come back in and plug up the middle of the field. Um, so if, if if he ends up you know, not even being what he was before and they can't keep him on the field. Uh, how do things adjust from there? Do, does Rousseau kick inside uh, like you saw him do at Miami a bunch? Uh, you know, he played primarily on the edge, but we saw Rousseau a lot, uh, especially at nose tackle when he was down in Miami uh, and his length against those guards uh, and centers in the interior there could come at an advantage as well. Um, so, you know, if, if uh, there are dominoes that could fall, um, and, and having the depth, if you can afford it, uh, is, is certainly a good excuse to keep Addison around. Uh, but the production doesn't match the contract. Uh, they've got a lot of depth at the position. Uh, and, you know, a football team involves needing a lot of guys at a lot of different places. Uh, and if you got to go out and get someone somewhere else and you need to, to cut somebody, uh, I, I do think Addison is pretty high up on that chopping board. Okay, just out of curiosity, if anybody listening did look it up here, he would carry six million dead cap. It would save about two point one million uh, this season's cap if they were looking to add that. He did restructure over the summer, uh, which basically means he took a pay cut already. So uh, hopefully, I mean, he's probably thinking he did that to help his odds of making the team to not be a cap casualty, but uh, still, still would open up two million dollars or more if they did cut him. Uh, Charlie. Last question from you, and then uh, we'll wrap up here. 
My last question, I want to go back to the O-line real quick because there was one guy in the O-line this uh, this preseason that I thought you know impressed me a little bit more than what I thought he would, and that was Spencer Brown. Oh, uh, okay. Big, big boy, big boy, right? Yeah, especially uh, with I, Dawkins having COVID. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I thought he did a good job filling in for Dawkins, and you mentioned you know not really knowing what Williams' future is with the uh, with the team. Could Brown be a guy that they could could pencil into that uh, right tackle spot? You know, next year or as the year goes on this year. Uh, it's it's certainly within the cards. Um, you know, they spent you know a third round pick on him. You know, you're not spending a, a pick within the top 100 on a guy that you know you don't think is going to be uh, you know in the long term plan of your football team. Um, so you know, with with Daryl Williams and how they re-signed him too, uh, and didn't really fully commit to him, uh, could very much see this year. You know, being uh, you know, a year where, where Dawkins, hopefully health permitting, uh, you know, handles, handles that left tackle spot. Williams handles that right tackle spot, uh, you know, and Brown is the guy, you know, you're bringing in as a sixth lineman, getting him some experience in games, things like that. Uh, and then he's also the first guy up, you know, if Dawkins has to miss time, if Williams has to miss time, uh, and getting some reps. Uh, but I mean, the kid is a, a freaking, I mean, monster, <laughs> Yeah, uh, of yeah. a human. I mean, he probably. I mean, people give you know people talk about Gregory Rousseau's height, but Spencer Brown I think looks down on Rousseau. Um, <laughs> it's just a mammoth of a guy, and if he can get that year under his belt, I mean, Daryl Williams is a veteran tackle who really, really knows his job well. Uh, if 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 Spencer Brown gets to work with him and learn that right tackle position from him. Uh, and the key and the idea is to take that over, uh, you know, from Williams, uh, if they don't want to commit to him in the long term. I, I mean, he looks like a he looks like a project type kid who could certainly, you know, certainly end up panning out. Um, you know, he's got the size kid can move. He's a mean football player. Um, and and. And yeah, give that give that kid a couple of years to develop. I mean, coming from Northern Iowa, obviously, you know, he's not going up against top tier pass rushers and things like that yeah. week in and week out. Uh, so, you know, the learning I've been mean, talking about that learning curve with Cody Ford coming from Oklahoma in the Big 12, you know, coming from Northern Iowa, you're going to have a big jump, too. Um, but, you know, you see plenty of guys handle that with some good coaching and, and being coachable um, and being, you know, willing to, to learn and adapt. Uh, so certainly excited to see, you know, hopefully we don't see him on the field too much this year because that mm -hmm. means, you know, the rest of the offensive line is healthy and producing. Um, but looking forward to seeing, you know, if if one of those other guys goes down or, you know, if, if Buffalo, you know, has a game where where six offensive line sets or something that they're they're running a few of, uh, you know, seeing him get that opportunity on the field and seeing what he can do. Because, uh, yeah, he's definitely definitely looked, you know, looked like a solid rookie. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, so he looked far. like he could, he looked like he could hold his own. You know, again, I know it's preseason; yep. you're not really going against you know some of the top guys in the league, but he definitely held his own uh, for the couple weeks without Deion Dawkins. So, and the yeah. guys who can hold their own as rookies—that's kind of what you're looking for preseason, right? Absolutely. Like you don't expect guys to necessarily come in and light the world on fire, but it's the guys who come in and just start getting their ass whooped that you're like, oh <laughs> crap. Yeah. Uh, so if you see yep. holding your own as a rookie, yeah, that's a good sign. Greg Russo, 6'6", 266, Spencer Brown, 6'8", 311. So he is, yeah. that, that's a, you know, if you were playing basketball, that is a mismatch in the post. Dude, that's a big he, guy. 
He's got a he's got a job in the WWE after uh, after football's <laughs> over if he wants it. That oh my god, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Vince McMahon is going to come calling real quick. Yeah. Cool. All right, B- yeah, Billy, we're we're gonna we're gonna end on on this thought here. It's something I think about often during the off season, and I actually noticed this is uh, your pinned tweet is a very similar thought. Uh, this is kind of the the Bills' year. They're in their Super Bowl window here. Have they done enough to overtake Kansas City? Like everything they do seems to come back to that thought. Can they get to the Super Bowl? Can they get past Kansas City? Um, I I mean I think so. Uh, you know, a lot of that is going to depend on you know it all coming true with Allen and him. You know, if not growing, at least maintaining uh, what he did last year. Um, but when I think about whether or not this roster has has shaped up to a true Super Bowl contender, um, I, I think one key area that they've just improved up and down is just is just depth. Um, you know, they've got that depth now along the defensive line. You know, bringing in Emmanuel Sanders and all of a sudden knocking you know Gabe Davis down to your fourth receiver and. And, you know, with all the flash that Marquez Stevenson's showing in the preseason and things like that, they've got the depth at the re- at receiver, uh, bringing in guys like, you know, Matt Breda, you know, they've got depth at running back. They've got depth along the offensive line. Um, you know, when it, when it, when it comes to that roster, there aren't a ton of holes. I know the second cornerback hole is one that, you know, gets talked about a lot, but Levi Wallace has looked good when he's had opportunities on the field before and, they clearly seem to believe in him, him, you know, the team, the team itself clearly believes in him as well. Uh, so, you know, you pencil him into that number two spot. Um, they've, they've got the talent, you know, in the back end, they hopefully have the pass rush in addition to Jerry Hughes up front. And they certainly have the guys they can cycle in up there, uh, you know, in the middle, you know, you just hope Edmonds takes another step forward. Milano, you know, bounces back and does his thing again. Uh, and yeah, the defense should be solid. The offense should be great. Uh, and if a guy goes down, you know, outside of Allen, knock on wood, um, they should, you know, next man up, be able to be able to get by. Um, so yeah, no, I think, I think they're definitely better than they were last year. Uh, and they made it to the AFC championship last year. Um, yeah, I mean, Kansas city is obviously still a huge threat, uh, but they showed that they can be, BB, especially if you get that pass rush up. Um, and yeah, I think Buffalo is, is certainly the team in the AFC uh, most completely built to take Kansas City down. So yeah, no, it, they should give them a run for their money, that's for sure. All right, Billy, thank you so much for the time here. Really appreciate it. Tell people where they can find you online. Uh, PFF underscore Billy. Nice and simple. <laughs> nice and easy. Nice and easy. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Billy Moy, thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Yeah. All right. Charlie, thank you. That was an awesome interview with Billy. Um, Shout out to you again. Being a new father. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. It's. Dude, it's exciting. I really thought we were gonna have a Jack Eichel trade before my son came. <laughs> no way, I won that bet for sure. Yes, yes. Uh, you know we're 
we, we definitely got to talk about Jack Eichel stuff eventually. It's so hard to want to like really dive into it because we're kind of still in a limbo with Jack Eichel and what's going on with Jack Eichel and what's going to happen with Jack Eichel. Uh, he's just changing agents. Things are just starting to get embarrassing at this I point. Know, I know, but it's it's about to be the week one of Bill's season. Don't bring me down with this Sabres talk. Listen, listen. I know. I know. And the, once Jack Eichel's out of Buffalo, I feel like things get a lot easier for the Sabres in general at that point. Um, and, and the city of Buffalo at that point. I'm excited for football season. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited to see what Josh Allen and, and this Bills team can do. Um, you know, we got Pittsburgh's coming into town week one. That should be a good game. Uh, we'll definitely dive into to the season, I feel like, a little bit more next week. Uh, yeah, we'll give you some hot takes next preview. week. Yeah, we'll preview week one next week, maybe even two weeks. I, I know we got two weeks before the season starts, but – uh, we'll definitely dive into things a little bit more for football season uh, for next week. Um, unless we have a breaking Jack Eichel trade before then, then we'll, we'll, we'll we got we got Braden uh, Braden Wilson sitting there on uh, on retainer right now. So uh, <laughs> that's right. When, when and if that comes, when we can break him away from WGR, he'll come on here and talk to us a little <laughs> bit more about everything else going on with the Jack Eichel stuff. But, um, Nick, I wanted to ask you real quick. I don't know how much of the preseason games you watched. I know you tweeted a lot about them. You had a lot of stock up, stock down. Um, who were your guys that impressed you most whose stock went up, and who were your guys um, that uh, you know impressed you the least who you felt stock went down? I think all summer, F.A. Obata constantly made plays, kept showing up. They played him a lot in the preseason games. I don't know if they're trying to boost his trade value. I don't know if they're trying to put some good tape out there. I don't really know. They have a lot of bodies there. I'm thinking Brandon Bean could trade somebody just because he seems uh, to always get some, some, you know, always always finds finds a way to move someone, uh, someone for you know at the end of the, of the preseason. So I don't know, uh, but he was he was good in the start. You know, early in camp, Jay Kumaro, he's like the mm. team's fifth, sixth receiver. Same thing. Like, it's a luxury uh, position to have him, you know, if, if you need someone. Could you get something for him in trade? Maybe. I don't know. Right. That That's, I mean, he's got one of your training camp MVPs there. Um, who else am I thinking of? Uh, Justin Zimmer. Always, you know, he's, he's playing later in the games against guys who might not be NFL players, but he continues to always kind of do something that I like that stands out to me, even if it's, uh, I think there was, there was one, maybe the second game, there was a screen pass and he really seemed to come out of nowhere and just, and, and caught, caught up to the guy. So, um, he's, that, that was, man, I, you know, you're looking for guys who hustle. Oh, it's something, you know, not giving up on the play. Somebody who can come in and maybe maybe not start, maybe not, you know, take up several weeks. Jace, oh, all right, no one, no one listening to the podcast is going to understand this, but uh, Jace Witkowski just made an appearance on the video chat. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to you. Yeah, he just told me uh, he wanted to come on the podcast real quick and say hello to, <laughs> to Uncle Nick. So, He's uh he's a little milk drunk right now, but uh, you know he wanted to come on and say say hello. So his first words are gonna be "Go Bills." I think so. We have a nice <laughs> Buffalo Bills book for him that breaks down all the Bill stuff he needs to know. Jim wow. Kelly, Josh Allen's in the book already, so we're we're starting him young. <laughs> who who wrote this book? I have no idea. My cousin got it for us for uh, oh for my gosh, and then we got he's got his first Bills jersey that Grandma and Grandpa got him. Ooh. 
he's got he's got Bill's onesies. He's got his uh, breaking hearts and tables shirts. He's <laughs> his my favorite was his Patriots onesie with the uh, uh, what did it say? Uh, Sorry, I spit up. I thought I saw a Patriots fan. I show that one. I show that to people when you put I think you or Marissa put that on Instagram and I show mm-hmm. that to people I was with and they laugh their butts off. Yes, it's a it is probably my favorite onesie. So he'll be wearing that one twice this year for sure. Uh and then definitely out in public. Gotta gotta get him on that. But <laughs> but he wanted to come on and say hello, but it looks like someone fell back to sleep over here. But oh, well, let's keep it that way. That's right. That's right. We'll keep it that way for a little bit till about 1030. And then he's going to wake up and want all the attention <laughs> in the world. So, well, he deserves it. He's a cutie. That's right. He is a cutie. He is a cutie. He He's coming for uh, for my spot, Nick. He may end up taking over for me on the podcast one of these days. So we'll see. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, is there a Twitter handle yet? We always do our sign offs here. Did, have you reserved at Jace Witkowski? I have not reserved at Jace Witkowski yet on Twitter, but we'll uh, we'll have to get him his own Twitter page here soon, so we can he can start tweeting everything he needs to okay. say. Okay, I, I hope your wife is not in the background hearing this. She's probably just oh, she's sitting right, she's standing right here next to me. Like, what the heck are they talking about? Because she can't hear you because I have the headphones on. She what's going on. She's like, you want to make my son a what account? Exactly. Exactly. So, All right. Well, we're just gonna wrap it up here. This is a good spot. We will have some hot takes next week. Um, I'm at Nick Veronica. He's at Chawit68. We are at the underscore process pod. Thanks for listening. Don't forget. Always trust the process. Take care. (laughs)